Thanks for tuning back into Bass Edge Radio. We are here with the mid-September edition, and we are talking to a super fun, and that's fun with a capital F angler today. That's right, Kurt. Looking forward to this show. It's a show that certainly we gain a lot of insight and information, but also my stomach is often in pain from laughing so hard after we go into this. But just want to remind our listeners that Bass Edge Radio is brought to you by the makers of Flexstep, Skagard, and of course their staple product, the first do-it-yourself keel protector, MegaWare Keel Guard. Be sure to visit them at keelguard.com. Well, here we are, Aaron, in our Lucas Angler spot. Light. We're bringing people the Z Train. Mark Zona is going to be with us today. I'm super excited to have Mark on the show. I absolutely am. And, you know, just the sheer stories. Obviously, he's a very good competitor. But what other guy do you know, Kurt, that has spent so much time with the top level, the best of the best in this sport? That guy's got to be just reeling with information. Yeah, he's got it all over the place and obviously typically showing it to us all on his fishing show. Zona's awesome fishing so but i tell you what let's get this show on the road bass edge radio we'll be back in a moment you know the importance of protecting your investments so why use anything other than the toughest keel protector for your boat grinding sand abrasive rocks and concrete ramps are no match for our patented technology KeelGuard keel protectors are made tough and made to stick. Their do-it-yourself installation takes less than an hour, providing the most dependable, most trusted keel protection for your boat, guaranteed for life. So give your boat the performance edge. Put on the protection the pros pick. KeelGuard keel protectors. Bass Edge Radio. Commence broadcast in three. Listening to the Edge, everything bass fishing from the Bass Edge Studios, high above Table Rock Lake in the Missouri Ozarks. Whoa, Aaron, I gotta say, it is deep breath time. I've been on the road for seven weeks, just finished my last event up there at Northern Open on Lake Erie and Sandusky, and, uh, you know, my tournament year is over. 14 events! It went by so quick, I don't even remember the first one. But uh, it was a lot of fun this year. Isn't that crazy how time flies? And I'm sure probably you've got the reminders set on your calendar for your massage, your chiropractor. I'm sure you're probably even going to get a mani-pedi maybe. (laughs) I wish I was lined up for that. You know, I'm I'm really excited to get back on Lake Amistad. Like I said, I've been away for several weeks. And, uh, you know, finally get back to get on the home water. And there's no better feeling than being at home, especially in a fishing sense when you're fishing your home stuff so lots of guide trips coming up and you know just really looking forward to getting into the fall aspect of the business of fishing you know something that's not talked about a whole lot but uh certainly lots of business going to be happening this fall to get ready for 2014 because even though it's mid-september before you know it january is going to be here and it's going to be time to kick off a new year Absolutely. We're going to be singing Christmas carols and uh, doing all that stuff before too long. And Kurt, you know, along those same lines, I mean, I know you're going to find this hard to believe, but I'm actually kind of doing what Randall Tharp in our last episode a couple weeks ago, you know, moving shallow. I'm faced with a tournament here that's coming up in two weeks. Of course, by the time I get there, that's going to be the Central Pro-Am Championship that I'm competing in. But unfortunately, we've had the BFL Super Tournament and then the Everstart that's currently taking place up there. So those fish aren't going to know what to do. They're going to be ducking by the time that I 
I get there. <laughs> That's probably right. You know, and the smallmouth have been ducking all summer because, you know, we've had a lot of great smallmouth discussions over the last several episodes. And the smallmouth north is getting chilly. We're winding down up there, uh, even though the fishing's still going to be good. And, you know, obviously here at the end of September and then into October. But uh, all of us are going to be transferring into the southern portion of the United States and really starting to key back into those largemouth tactics. So uh, excited for that coming up. But we do have one more cool smallmouth interview because we have the fabulous, a great northern angler, the Z-Train, Mark Zona on the phone. Let's hear what he's got to say. We'll be right back with Bass Edge Radio. At Legend Boats, we have one agenda, to build the finest bass boat on the water. It's our passion. Our hand-laid hulls and zero-tolerance stringer and transom system give you a smooth, dry ride, even in the rough stuff. The Alpha 211 with its massive fishing platform. The Alpha 199, fast and stable. And coming soon, the Alpha 191, a 19-footer with a style, attitude, and a price value all its own. Legend Boats, catch the wave, ride with a legend. More Bass Edge in 30 seconds. First by land and now by sea. For years, Lucas Oil has been a staple in high-performance vehicles on both the road and track. Now, from the makers of Lucas Oil comes Lucas Marine Products, specifically engineered for marine applications. Protect and lubricate your marine inboard, outboard, or high-performance boat with Lucas Marine Engine Oil or Lucas Synthetic-Based Oil. Learn more about the complete line of Lucas Oil and marine products. Visit lucasoil.com. This is the Honey Badger, Randall Tharp, and you're locked into Bass Edge Radio. Along for the ride today is an individual who first joined us on Bass Edge Radio 55 episodes ago. He's one of the most popular fishing personalities in the world. One of the few to ever hug Randy Moss in a boat, yet brave enough to hold a 60-inch alligator gar across his lap for a photo. It's none other than the host of Zona's Awesome Fishing Show and our good friend, the Z-Man himself, Mark Zona. Welcome back to the show, Z. Aaron, I'm not going to lie. I, I, the only thing that I really gravitated throughout that intro that I that it was 55 episodes ago that I was on. Hard to believe. Um, it was all the way back in, like, uh, I don't know, 2009. Or, I, well, matter of wow. fact, the last episode that you were on was in 2010. I'm, You know, did you not like us or did you just I, 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 I don't know I, I to be honest with you I think that's when I was transitioning from world's greatest fishing show to Zona's fishing show and uh, boy that honestly feels I'm not joking it feels like it was about 15 years ago <laughs> well, I am sure there has been uh, many of bass caught in your boat since then. And, of course, obviously, you've racked up the uh, frequent flyer miles as much traveling as what you do. But being the middle of September, you know, I'm sure your schedule has somewhat slowed down, if you can say that. What seems to be on your calendar as we head into the fall? You know, what's weird, and Kurt can relate to this, you guys are on the road all year fishing the elites and guiding and stuff like that. I'm actually, this is no joke, and all of your listeners can relate to this. This is my first morning home in 23 days and I'm sitting in my boat and we had been taping and covering the final elites and stuff like that going to studio and I'm looking in my boat and I have no idea where to start 
in cleaning this disaster. <laughs> Every single storage box in, in my boat, in my truck. And you know what happens. There's like a quarter inch of water in one, and then there's some half-eaten food in another with some mold. And you start to wonder what still, because I'm, I'm a person, I'm a pack rat. I don't like to throw things away. So I'm wondering what part of my food is good. What do I need to discard? Yeah, so it's a cleaning time of year. But I'll tell you what, it's a transition time of year where we, you know, we finish up the elites. You know, I spent a little time getting the kids ready to, at least start school again. But, you know, right now we're getting ready to start hammering Zona shows out. But I'm a little bit ahead. I got half of my season shot. So uh, I'm a little bit ahead of the curve. Hey, Zona, man, that's awesome. I love watching the show. And uh, it's definitely one of the biggest personality shows out there. I mean, your personality, you can only hope to contain, but you can never cage it. I mean, you're just out there all over the place. And I love that about it. So you've begun filming for 2014. You care to mention any sneak peek? of what the viewers can expect for this season? What I always wanted out of my show, what I always wanted was to be honest. Good days, bad days, bad weather, good weather. And that's really what the show's become. We don't hold back when the weather's bad. In fact, I, I don't know. I don't. Maybe it's a warped, twisted, demonic sense I have, but I like it when the weather's terrible. I know my camera guys can't stand me for that. <laughs> but uh, really, and you know, you guys have done a bunch of TV. We all grew up watching shows and still do. And we love those shows that are calm and 85 degrees, but that's not reality. But here, this is no joke. Every single show we've shot so far has been 85 degrees and calm which tells me we are fixing to hit something really bad in the next three months. Oh, it's, it's, it's coming for sure. I've never had that stretch. You know, we've got six shows in the can, and I do. I try to spread out small mouth and large mouth, and I'll splash in a weird species here and there. The interesting thing I can tell you is we've got most of our small mouth content out of the way, and our smallest, and I do, I'm still back in, you know, I'm still back in tournament mode where I talk about what five fish stringers would mean. And in my world, they mean absolutely nothing <laughs> but uh i always gauge what would have our five best have weighed and and our smallest smallmouth bag on camera this year is five that would weigh 24 pounds that's our smallest bag which like i said i'm patting myself on the back a little bit right there just for the simple fact i know we're gonna pay the piper on our next shoot so take it while you can i guess you know you bring up the weather change i definitely want to talk more in detail concerning the smallmouth but the weather changes mark last year you had parts of the country that were in a drought at least the right. part of the country that i live in and then this year we've had an august that was more like a fall with record rainfalls do you see that playing a difference in the catch rates that you see and that you experience or how does weather play into it or you just kind of roll with it and go that's an interesting question because i have had tendencies this is dead honest truth to watch where weather systems are coming in and purposely schedule shoots yeah like we had a blizzard come into illinois a couple years ago and i told the crew let's beat the blizzard and i want to shoot when that thing hits like i said crew doesn't like me when i do that but whenever you have extreme situations whether it's in the central united states States, the southern or up here, whenever you have very extreme weather situations that are not just, I'm not saying one day events. Last year, we hit the, the backside of the hurricane that hit. It's a very, very, very high risk, high reward proposition when you do that. Number one, you're going to physically get the crap kicked out of you, but it could be some of the best fishing that you'll see the entire year. Um, now, now, here's the other side of that. It could be the worst of the entire year, but what's funny is you're always going to 
get, at least to me, you're going to get some kind of content that your viewer can relate to in some way, shape, or form, or your viewer can look at and go, no way am I going out in that. So I guess the answer is yes. You do see that. And not only that, to me, I, guys, I am. I'm, I'm an extremely shallow individual. I watch the football network and the weather channel. That's all I watch. Um <laughs> <laughs> really, which is another reason my wife would, you know, we have a five-day rule at the house. If I'm home five days, I got to hit the road. <laughs> got to hit the road. It keeps a very lasting marriage. And what we've seen, I mean, Kurt, you've seen it down at Amistad. And what it is, it's years of cycle where you look at the Falcons, where it goes in this extreme drought where everybody says there's not a bass in the lake. And then it raises back up. And guess what? There's still a million bass in the lake. Yeah, hammer time. Um, so, yeah, I, I would say that you do see when we have those weather events, you do see how big it affects the fishing in your area. We saw that at the final event, you know, really the last two events of the Elite Series this year, the Waddington and the St. Clair Tournament. Kurt, you got to admit this. Those were two tournaments. Nobody on earth would have made a wager that all four days of both events, not just one, all four days, you could have ran 100 miles. It doesn't happen. Unbelievable. You're, you're exactly right. You know, I think about that sometimes, especially with the Waddington event. I know you're really familiar with that eastern side of Ontario, and that's one of my favorite fisheries in the country. I remember seeing you up there in off-season before, and you were doing a show up there with uh, Aaron Martins, and, and I was up there just fishing because I love it up there. I was actually fishing a two-day FLW BFL event just because mm -hmm. I love being there to fish and and uh, you're exactly right for those conditions to come together and to really play out the way they did it was unbelievable but the great thing about the, the Waddington event was how Brandon did it and it was almost like you know he's a young guy it was almost like you know I think there's a naiveness there you know he's naive to what really that place can do and what can happen to that section of the lake and for to happen, you know, weather-wise, that he could get out there four days in a row, unbelievable. And then as you talk about the St. Clair event and eight or nine guys that made the top 12 fished, fished out in Erie making an 80-mile run, just unbelievable. The odds of that happening again are so astronomical. And this is a true story about the Waddington event. You call it naive. That's juvenile stupidity is what it is because he, <laughs> it, it really is. Because you know what the mouth of Shamo Bay and Henderson Bay turn into. You've seen it. And I'll yeah. tell you a true story. I always come into, I, I come into the elites on Fridays and I thought, you know what? I'm going to go snoop around and get ready to tape a Zona show. And I'm going to put this as exactly what happened. I got there late Thursday night in the Syracuse, New York. I looked at the weigh-in and kind of checked out what some of the weights were and stuff like that. I was like, oh, cool, there's some good weights going on. I'm going to launch my boat in Henderson Bay, which is so far away from the tournament, I'll be out of everybody's way. And I thought to myself, you know what, I'm going to go look around at some of my little stomping grounds to tape a Zona show on Monday. Launched my boat, and there's Brandon Polinick on Friday morning, and I'm like, you have got to be kidding me. <laughs> um, and here's the thing, what you just said, if any of your viewers, Aaron, close their eyes right now, that is the roughest place on earth when it decides to growl. I'm talking like, you know, like when you see the opening of World's Deadliest Catch, oh, yeah. that's what that area gets like. And you're right, naivety. But 
I also use another word. There was an enormous amount of desperation, and desperation at times is the mother of success. Yeah, so. it's almost yeah. that reckless abandonment that, you know what, you're going to throw everything out the window and not follow the norm or the right. masses, that consciousness perhaps, I, I guess if you will, and uh, obviously it paid off. And, you know, we've talked a lot about your responsibilities that you share with Tommy Sanders there on ESPN, you know, with coverage of the Bassmaster Elite Series. And, you know, I would almost kind of frame it, Mark, in that you kind of have a special bond with a lot of the anglers on tour. And what I would always find difficult would be, how are you able to kind of journalistically report oftentimes on, you know, those touchy details and yet still be able to really maintain the integrity of that friendship? As far as with the anglers. Yes, absolutely. Uh, well, I can tell you one thing, and Kurt could admit to this because he's, he's at those. I don't hang out with anglers at tournaments. I don't. That's not what I'm there for. I have what, what I would say is three or four very, very close friends, and it's obvious who they are. I mean, heck, they're on the show. Every, it's, it's, not, it's not a secret. But when I go to an Elite Series event, and I've learned this through the years, Aaron. You know, the, the more I think about it, I think the more I can answer that. Hey, when I used to get to tournaments, I was hey, let's go see what they're catching and talk to them in parking lots. No, 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 no. You just don't do that. And going into my 10th year doing this job, I'm there. And, and this is what's interesting. I don't want to be a, a name dropper, but uh, Mike Golick really taught me something from, from Mike and Mike. Uh, he said, when you're covering one, don't be friends with your friends. Cover the event. And, and that's very sound advice. And I have. I have had to hammer some of my friends on some of their performances. I, I, I remember doing, I, I did something with Jay Kumar. Uh, right before the Waddington tournament. He said, hey, we're coming to Van Dam country. Uh, Edwin Evers is leading angler of the year, but tell me about Van Dam. I said, these tournaments, if there's ever two tournaments that do not set up for Van Dam to make a move, we're going into those. And I said, his style of fishing does not lend itself to Waddington and Lake St. Clair. If it was a month from now, when we're talking right now, he's the favorite because of a weather situation, the fish would be more in his wheelhouse. I, and I did. I said, I don't know. I said, I think Edwin's going to win, but the guy to keep your eye on is Aaron Martins. And see, now I'm just going back and forth. I'm going to different stories. But long story short is I respect every one of those guys. And selfishly, I like to go to the Elite Series tournaments just to get more fishing knowledge. I, I, I mean that. But the number one thing that I've learned is when I go to those tournaments, I'm not buddy-buddy with the competitors. It's not my job. My job is to give to the viewers what I would want to see as a hardcore bass fisherman. I definitely think that shows. Now, don't get me wrong. Every now and then, Aaron, it, it, it slightly dents our relationships every now and then. <laughs> I've seen, I've all, seen him in weigh-in line before, and he's licking his chops. He's like, <laughs> God, I'd like to get out there and catch some of those. <laughs> I see hey, Mark up, back uh, On the other side, though, there's been a few events where I'm like, thank goodness I am not <laughs> out there. <laughs> that is true. Hey, Mark, real quick, before we head to break, you know, you've spent hundreds of thousands of hours, you know, on the water competing personally as a commentator. We get questions all the time here at Bass Edge of what characteristics separate the top-level consistent anglers from your weekend warrior. Can you just describe for our listeners what they need to do to step their game up a little bit? Things that I've learned that have helped myself Two or three things that, that I go to every time I notice the best guys on the elites. Number one is detail. Detail to 
every single dude. We all got that guy that comes in at our local club derby or our regional derby and says, man, I tell you what, I broke one off. Well, dude, if you broke one off and it's the same guy that says that, you know what I mean? (laughs) Um, you guys know everybody listening knows, heck you may be that dude. (laughs) Um, attention to detail, whether it's your line, your hook, your reel, your guides on your rod, just infinite detail. And the other one is organization. There's a few guys on the Elite Series that have zero organization skills, yet they still somehow manage to catch them. But those guys are so few and far between. And really, the last one uh, is more technical, and that is a lot of us think that we're very good at understanding our electronics. The best of the best really understand their electronics. They're masters of it. And that's one thing that I'll tell you something. Growing up, you know, fishing Erie and Lake Michigan, blah, 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 blah. You cannot learn enough. You cannot learn enough about your electronics. And I really think we are on the cutting edge verge of our electronics being the biggest factor in our events that are offshore. They have been. I mean, anybody can say, well, they are right now with side scan and GPS and blah, 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 blah. But there are things that are coming out that... Number one, if you don't learn them, you're going to be about 10 steps behind the guy in front of you. Right. Well, good detail there for our listeners. We owe them a quick break. But when we return, Zona, we're going to take an in-depth look into your true love, smallmouth fishing. You're listening to Bass Edge Radio, presented by MegaWare Keelguard. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. Whether you're on the road, on the water, or in your backyard, there's a super start battery when you need one at O'Reilly Auto Parts. From car batteries to batteries for your lawnmower or boat, every super start battery comes with a nationwide replacement warranty. Starting power, starting performance, and starting reliability, super start batteries available exclusively at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Better parts, better prices every day. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. Listening to Bass Edge Radio with Aaron Martin and Kurt Dove. We are back on Bass Edge Radio, and this segment of the show is brought to you by Lucas Oil High Performance Marine Products. From real oil to two cycle outboard oil that surpasses all manufacturers' requirements, visit lucasoil.com. It works. All right, Z-Train, it's the middle of September, your love for smallmouth. You know, it's been 10 years since you went on a dominating tear in the Everstarts. Do you remember those days? Vaguely. I used to have I used to have a little <laughs> black beard back then. I was like, actually, it's no joke, I was like 20 pounds heavier, and I was like a burly, grizzly man-bear pig. I do remember <laughs> those days. And in fact, I complimented it real quick. I complimented I, I remember some of those old photos with a gold rope around the neck. Oh, yeah. Oh, oh nice, there you nice. go. Oh, yeah. Well, I recently saw your high school picture. I think that gold rope was hanging out from that time frame. What do you think? <sighs> How bad was that picture? <laughs> How All bad? Right. So here's the deal. Give, give us some specifics on what types of areas you're looking for, points, bottom composition, you know, some Merge structure. How are you going to go tackle some giant browns in the fall? Whenever, whenever you're in September, anywhere in the country chasing smallmouth. And obviously, you know, I spend most of my time in Minnesota, Michigan, New York, and you better be covering water. You have to cover water because they start to group up way more. You know, we were talking about it before the break. You talk about the east side of Ontario. 
there can be days that you're on that body of water and you're like, wow, there is not a bass in this entire lake. And then when you find one, you just found 300 of them. And the thing that we have a tendency to do as fishermen, especially smallmouth fishermen, we don't get many calm days that we were talking about. Our tendency is to, on a calm day, we get out there and the first thing we do is drop our trolling motor. That is the last thing you want to do. And I really, really learned this covering the redfish cup throughout the years. All those guys do. And a redfish and a smallmouth, when they're shallow, which that's what they're going to be doing here in the next week or two, all you got to use is your eyes. And you can cover so much more water. If you get a buddy to get in your boat with you, get on your bow, stare in the water, and idle as many miles of water as you can if the clarity permits. And that's how we find those fish. And the other thing is, and this is the one thing that really goes back to those Everstart days, is the one thing that that I've always, you know, all the way back to 1990-something, the bigger the baits you throw for smallmouth bass in the fall, the bigger you are going to catch. You know, we all have those pretty $40 jerk baits. I got like three of them. I won't throw the things because I'm scared a pike will eat them. But all of my truly big smallmouth that I've caught, seven to eight pound fish, have all come on oversized baits. Whether it's a jerk bait half the size of my arm, whether it's a topwater bait that you look at and you're like, dude, that's for peacock bass. What we've all grown accustomed to is, you know, like you look at the summertime tournaments where we're throwing drop shot baits that are the size of your pinky, do the exact opposite in the fall. That's the time of year where you're trying to catch your trophy. Don't be scared to use things that you look at and go, a small mouth would never hit that, but they will. I promise that. Well, that's awesome. And you talk about seven or eight pound smallmouth. To me, that's a big largemouth anymore, but uh, <laughs> that's, that's uh, almost unheard of. So a lot of your, your favorite lakes are right there, kind of centered around your home state there in Michigan. And I'm always curious, do you feel that smallmouth behavior differ across the nation? And really, if it does, you know, how do you respond to those changes? They do. I, you know, that's, <laughs> that's interesting. This is no joke. One of my favorite places on earth to fish is Lake Michigan. The fish on the west side up near Green Bay and and Washington Island, that's some of the best fishing on earth. Those fish act so completely different than the fish on the east side of Lake Michigan. And Aaron, why that is, I don't know. There is a population of smallmouth bass that live in Lake Michigan that do not feed up. You do not catch them on a jerkbait. You don't catch them on a lipless. You don't catch them on a spinnerbait. They feed down. There's another population on Lake Michigan that feeds up, and you rarely catch them on the usual tubes and drop shots. And what does that? Is it their forage? I would guess a small mouth from New York is a different creature than a small mouth on Pickwick. I don't know if that's what keeps me going because I spend an embarrassing amount of time chasing those things and you never got them figured out. You never do. They're the hot chick in high school, man, that you're like, wow, we're going on a date. And then Monday morning after you go on the date, she doesn't talk to you. And you think <laughs> things went well. I had you a know? couple of those. <laughs> I'm, I, I'm, I'm married to one. Gosh, I can't let her. That's terrible. That's terrible. Terrible. But, but yes, and, and that's the beauty of it. And, and really, in, in all honesty, our large mouth and our spotted bass, it's all the same way. It's a giant, unsolvable puzzle that... To me, nobody can ever master. Your listeners are the hardcore of the hardcore of the hardcore in bass fishing. 
And that's what keeps us all going and doing this because it is. It's an unsolvable puzzle. Well, I tell you what, Zona, we're going we're gonna to jump back here real quick. You know, we're coming off of the summer. There are oftentimes, you know, offshore fishing a ridge or a shell bed or a shipwreck. You know, it can be super intimidating. And a lot of people are leaving this summer and going into fall with questions in their head about why I had such a tough summertime and and why they weren't able to really dial in these specific types of summertime structures. Um, Can you provide us some tips on reducing angler anxiety when they're trying to learn to fish more offshore stuff? Here's the best way to put it. If you're fishing offshore stuff, number one, you're in a boat, obviously. <laughs> Look at your boat. Look at your boat. Let's just say it's 18 feet long. What I always say is there's an anxiety that anglers have, myself included years ago. I did. I, I always, man, I get my boat. If I saw that number 20, I'd go, ooh, ooh, we're getting out there in the, you know, we're getting in the abyss now. If you look at the relative terms of how long 18 feet is, I'm staring at my boat right now. Fellas, ain't that long. For a bass to live, to be under your boat, say you're drop shotting or you're cranking a ledge or something like that, 18 feet is not that deep. So what I always would say to myself, what, I, what I've done throughout the years, I'm going to tell you a, a really quick story, is I was at Lake Ontario. Y'all were at Oneida last year. Elites were going on there, and, and, and I was catching smallmouth in 30 to 40 to almost 50 feet of water, and I hooked one. And I'm sitting there fighting the fish, and the waves are throwing me off the, the area I'm in. And Kurt, this is a fantastic deal, but I'm, I'm getting pushed off this ridge, and I'm fighting this bass, and it's a good one. You know, it's a four-pounder, and I start marking them on my graph in 60 to 75, and I marked one in 77 feet of water. Mm. And I said, wow, there's salmon and walleye mixed in here. <laughs> so I'm still fighting this fish, and I unhook them, and I get, get on my trolling motor, and I, my mind, I want to get back up there where I caught that bass in 38 feet of water because that's where the bass live. I know that. I read it. And I marked that one in 77 feet. I dropped down, and I caught him, and he was five and three-quarter pound smallmouth. Holy smoke. And I'm going to tell you something. The only barrier we have fishing deep water is ourself. Because trust me, they live out there. If there is food, if there is the right conditions, I think the majority of populations of bass live so much deeper than we fish. Of the bass that we want to take pictures of. Yeah, I grew up fishing Potomac River, and and nine feet was the abyss to me back then when I when I first started. And then you grow and, and you start fishing a lot of different fisheries, and and then finally I met Amistad, and that right. was just the biggest eye opener. You you say seventy seven feet, that's the deepest I've caught a largemouth bass on Amistad is seventy seven feet, and I've got many friends have you know caught them in ninety and and you know near a hundred foot of water, and and you're exactly right. You know the only limitation is your imagination. I, I really believe that. And what you imagine and your creativity as far as what you talked about earlier, using the electronics, you know, more critical than ever to feel comfortable in fishing offshore conditions. There's no doubt. And, and if you just walk around, like I'm, I just walked out of my garage and I'm looking at a tree that's standing probably 45 feet tall. In relative terms, from where your boat is on the top of the water down to the bottom, that is not that incredibly far. But yet when you see that on your graph, when you see that number on your graph, you have a tendency to go, whoa, 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 I can't, you know, I don't want to be. If, and, and obviously that's all in relative terms. You know, if you're to go to a Gunnersville, that maximum depth will be shallower just because of water clarity and forage and stuff like that. But we all go to a lake and, you know, a lot of the local lakes here in Michigan, I call it the 12 to 15 max rule. When, when a boat 
hits 15 feet of water, heck, they're going back into the, to the hard line of grass, and they're never going to. What I always try to do is see where the population of anglers are fishing out deep and go to that next realm because a lot of times on lakes that we all fish through the country, wherever that max pressure is on a break, on a ledge, wherever that max pressure is, we are the ones that push those fish deeper. Pressure does that to fish. There's no doubt in my mind. If you really listen to ledge fishing tournaments, as a tournament goes on, a lot of times you hear anglers start catching them deeper. Well, a lot of that comes from pressure that we've put on them. Good stuff there. And it reminds me really, Kurt, of a couple episodes ago that we had uh, Mike Webb on that was talking about this very same thing, his deepest fish, who is kind of a deep water specialist, 82 feet. <laughs> yeah. I mean, just nuts. But guys, we have heard from our listeners in a big way this week, and uh, really it's time to give away a $100 gift card to O'Reilly Auto Parts. This week's question comes from Mike Falkenrath from Charlotte, North Carolina. Mike's question is as follows. I obtained permission two years ago to fish a private lake. It is 12 acres. It's spring-fed and gin-clear. It's predominantly 8 to 10 feet deep full of milfoil. I'm not allowed to fish at night, which leaves me the day. I've tried everything with no results from lures, live bait. There are huge bass in there. Please help me pick this lock. I'm completely stumped. Again, this is from Mike in Charlotte, North North Carolina. I would say two things stand out right there. Number one, eight to ten foot full of milfoil. I'll start with that being heaven. Number two, say that full name again, Mike Falkenrath. <laughs> yeah, he, <laughs> you I, got it. One time, yep. That right there is almost like a superhero cartoon. I, what a great name. Let me do it real quick. Ladies and gentlemen, Mike Falkenrath. That is something Sanders could pull off right there. No doubt about it. Um, here's, the, here's the best thing I could say about that. Whenever you get in a place that, if you're lucky enough, and both of you know this, if you're lucky enough to find a place that has 8 to 10 feet of choked up milfoil, you're around them. And when you find one, more than likely, you're going to find a pretty good scrape of them. And the one thing that I can tell you, move slow. Don't try to do too much. The number one thing I use for whenever I'm flipping milfoil, I use a rodent, striking rodent with a three-quarter ounce head, heavy line, whether it's 20-pound fluorocarbon or braid. Get over that milfoil, press your button, and drop it in as many holes in that grass, as many holes in that. And that sounds very simple. And here's the best thing about it. When it feels like it got welded to the bottom, you just found them. That's good stuff. <laughs> That's pretty simple right there. Well, thanks, Mike, for sending in your question, and congratulations for being chosen for the O'Reilly Auto Parts listener question segment. O'Reilly Auto Parts, the professional parts people. Mike, simply send us an email and let us know that you heard Zona call you a superhero here on the show along with your mailing address, and we'll get you that $100 gift card from O'Reilly Auto Parts. Just a reminder to include your shipping address when you send in your listener questions to support at BassEdge.com or post those on the Bass Edge Facebook page for your chance to win that $100 gift card. Well, Zona, before we let you go, uh, you know, I was reading your bio, and I know you're a big music fan, and I, I think it said on there, uh, I couldn't remember, was it Justin Timberlake or Justin Bieber that you like so much? Well, my wife likes Justin Timberlake. I can't say it real loud, <laughs> so I have to kind of, I, this is no joke. I See, now I'm going to go somewhere else. Um, I am. I'm trapped back in, uh, you know, I'm in 91 still. Big Motley <laughs> Crew, big Metallica fan, but like this, 
middle of summer, she said, hey, we're going to a Bon Jovi concert. Well, come on, man. You know, that's like that's like handing your man card over. That's a little light. That's a little light. Now, here's something interesting, though, Kurt. You ready? I went to this concert. It was in Detroit. There was 23,000 people, and there was probably 2,000 males taking one for the team, taking one for the wives of Michigan. And uh, let me just put it this way. If there's any listeners out there that that your wife says, hey, we're going, we're going to see Bon Jovi. Yeah. It does put a dent in your ego a little bit, but trust me when I tell you this, pays big dividends in the end. Well, hey, let let me just tell you, Zona, you know, I think it came straight from Kurt's mouth is that nobody sings a love ballad like a 90s big hair rock band. You're exactly right, my friend. Exactly right. Now, don't get me wrong. When I walked out of there, I got in the Ram and and instantly I put in Metallica Black Album to get back to where I'm supposed to be. But uh, it was a big time. So anyway, I did. Uh, So I can admit it. I saw Bon Jovi in concert. Well, fantastic. As always, it's uh, it's been so great to have you on the show. Any closing thoughts or of inspiration that you can leave our listeners with before we close it down? You know what? Keep doing what you guys are doing. I truly mean this. Uh, I hadn't been on for a few years, but uh, you guys have. You you really do. Okay, well, you know, we had a bunch of fun today, and, and I got to act like a knucklehead, which, which I do pretty much every minute of the day. But you guys have some of the best, whether it's national pros or absolute some of the best regional dudes, and, and I do. Man, I, I know all you were talking about Webb from Table Rock. Um, I'd love to hang with that too, but keep doing what y'all are doing because uh, you're kicking butt. Well, thank you so much, and certainly that makes our job easier when we have guys like you on the show. But uh, once again, thanks for being on the show, Mark, and let's take a quick break as you're listening to Bass Edge Radio. Now you can order Bass Edge Season 3 on DVD. Own the best resource for tips and techniques in bass fishing as host Aaron Martin tackles lakes across the country with the industry's top pro anglers, including Denny Brower, Boyd Duckett, Randy Howell, and Dave Wolak. This two-disc set includes all 13 episodes. That's over 10 hours of Bass Edge, including interviews, bloopers, and highlights, all for just $19.95. Order online at BassEdge.com. And be sure to check out previously released DVDs like Bass Edge Seasons 1 and 2 and Electronics 101. Bass Edge, Season 3, now on DVD at BassEdge.com. Patented in 2000, perfected over years of testing and real-world punishment, the Powerful is the ultimate shallow-water boat positioning tool. Swift, Powerful deploys in seconds from anywhere in your boat. Virtually silent, Powerful won't spook wary fish. Secure in strong currents or gusting winds in up to 8 feet of water. Engineered to take it with a lifetime unconditional replacement guarantee on the spike. Powerful, swift, silent, secure. Visit PowerPole.com to find a dealer near you. Hey, everybody. I'm Justin Lucas. I'm Jason Christie. This is FLW Tour Angler Brian Thrius. I'm Kevin Hawk, BASS Pro Pete Ponds. This is Skeet Reese, and you're tuned in to Bass Edge Radio. What a fantastic interview. It's always a pleasure to have the Z-Man on the show kind of chatting about bass and amongst other things, Kurt. Yeah, he's had a whole lot of stuff going on there. That guy is uh, nonstop and and certainly would be a fun guy to hang out with for a day or two. Three days, I don't know. You know, I, I might be alone with his wife uh, that, on that deal. You know, just that's, that's that might be a little Z overload. But uh, 
fun nonetheless. But I tell you what, you know, Zona was talking about the listener question a little bit, and and I want to go back to Mike Falkenrath's question. You know, he's fishing a 12-acre pond, so, you know, Zona talked about, you know, flipping the holes and the milfoil, and and, uh, you see fish in the water, and and you might be fishing from the bank. You know, it's just a 12-acre pond here, and it sounds like you probably have a huge concentration of bass, especially if you're able to visually see them like you suggested in your question so you know i want to take this the other direction if it's really clear you've got a lot of grass obviously there's a lot of filtration going on that's why it is clear especially in the summertime when the grass growth is at its highest i'm going to say look to downsize a little bit you know just as much as people like to flip mill foil and use big heavy line and frog fishing and and some of those other things that we talked last interview about you know even with randall tharp but really downsizing go to you know eight ten pound test you know use weightless baits um these can be very effective on skittish fish and really clear water especially when you can see them i think that will help you have a little bit more success and really be able to read the reaction of the fish and that's where your adjustments need to come from when you see the fish keep an eye on it see how it reacts to your presentations and that's how you probably need to adjust a little bit but downsizing i think might be a huge key to start to build the confidence and catch a few of those fish in that really cool pond that it sounds like you've got access to. Absolutely. That was, that's good stuff right there, Kurt. And just one little thing to add is, you know, he mentioned that it was spring-fed, which means that you have, what, ground temperature water somewhere around 57 degrees. It's running into that probably year-round. In the summertime, you know, bass love that comfort level, so spring-fed bringing oxygen somewhere where that water, whether it be at the headwaters or off of a side chute or something like that, you have that cooler water that's mixing with the warmer water. I would think, you know, as we headed kind of into that fall turnover that we've talked so much about, you know, that's going to be an oxygen-rich environment. Likewise, same way in the wintertime, you know, as those temperatures cool, that water perhaps might be warmer than what the rest of the lake is. So something to consider there. Regardless, I think, uh, Mike, you are set well on your way to hopefully milking that for some additional bites and, and catching some of those big fish. Unfortunately, we are out of time. would like to thank Mark Zona for being with us today here on Bass Edge Radio. For Kurt Dove, I am Aaron Martin. Thanks for joining us, and have a great week, everybody. You know the importance of protecting your investments, so why use anything other than the toughest keel protector for your boat? Grinding sand, abrasive rocks, and concrete ramps are no match for our patented technology. Keel Guard keel protectors are made tough and made to stick. Their do-it-yourself installation takes less than an hour, providing the most dependable, most trusted keel protection for your boat, guaranteed for life. So give your boat the performance edge. Put on the protection the pros pick. Keel Guard keel protectors. The Edge is presented by KeelGuard. For more information on Bass Edge or to shop at the Bass Edge online store, visit BassEdge.com. And be sure to join Kurt Dove and Aaron Martin right here on another episode of The Edge. Brought to you in part by Legend Boats, O'Reilly Auto Parts, Lucas Oil Products, Mercury Marine, PowerPole, and Rapaholic.com.